Back here on the Urology Care Podcast, our guest today is Anne Calvaresi. She's a DNP at Thomas Jefferson University's Department of Urology in Philadelphia. Welcome. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Today's discussion is going to center around prostate cancer and specifically what patients need to know about incontinence after prostate cancer. Can you give us some background on prostate cancer in general in the first place? Sure. So prostate cancer is the leading solid tumor among men in this country. Um, Men are at a risk of about one in seven of developing prostate cancer. Patients who are at higher risk include African-American men and men with a family history of prostate cancer. Uh, Data shows that men with a family history are at a likelihood of about one in three of developing cancer. And also, just along those same lines, can you give us some background on what incontinence is? Sure. So incontinence is some type of leakage of urine. So either patients aren't able to hold it or they're leaking under strain. Okay. Are there different types of incontinence that you want to talk about? Good question. Yeah, there are different types of incontinence. So there's stress urinary incontinence. Stress urinary incontinence occurs when there's straining. So laughing, coughing, sneezing, bending down, picking up something heavy, getting in and out of a car, in and out of a chair. And that's because the pelvic floor is not strong enough to withstand the pressure. So when the pressure in the abdomen builds, the leakage occurs. There's also urge incontinence, which occurs when a patient feels like their bladder is full or they feel like there's some urine in their bladder and they're not able to hold it. There's also mixed urinary incontinence, and that's when you see both stress urinary incontinence and urge incontinence. Can you tell us a little bit about prostate cancer treatment and how that impacts incontinence? Yeah, so patients who undergo a prostatectomy, which is surgical removal of the prostate, can lead to incontinence. Um, And the sphincter that sits at the bladder neck uh, is not patent any longer, and so the leakage occurs as a result. Do all forms of prostate cancer treatment lead to incontinence? No. So with localized prostate cancer, patients usually have an option of either radiation treatment with or without hormonal therapy or surgical removal of the prostate. And so with the radiation treatment and the androgen deprivation or hormone therapy, you don't see incontinence. It's just with the radical removal of the prostate that you do see incontinence. How long can incontinence last after treatment? In most patients, it subsides after just a couple of months. Um, Usually we say that about 85% of patients have stopped leaking by six months, 95% of patients by a year. Um, There are some patients who have ongoing leakage indefinitely, um, but for the most part, it does subside. How is incontinence treated in general? It's a great question. So we start out with pelvic floor exercises, something called Kegel exercises. Um, And a Kegel exercise is as simple as when a person is urinating and they stop the flow of urine. The contraction of those muscles is a Kegel exercise. So by doing those exercises, a lot of times patients will regain their continence. Uh, Options after that include oral therapy with anticholinergics um, or beta-3 adrenergic uh, treatment. This is just kind of like overactive bladder medication. Uh, If that's not enough, another option is uh, biofeedback, where they go once weekly or once every two weeks. Um, Another option is uh, physical therapy, where they work with a physical therapist on pelvic floor exercises. And then surgery, of course, as a last resort with either a sling um, or uh, injections or um, artificial sphincter. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the side effects that might be involved with some of this treatment when it comes to incontinence? Yeah, so um, with physical therapy or the or, or Kegel exercises in the home, and also biofeedback, there really aren't many side effects. Um, the oral medications can give some side effects with relation to, to their mechanism of action. So with the anticholinergic, sometimes they'll get dry mouth or constipation. If you look at the um, um you can sometimes see um, elevated blood pressure. 
Um, and then, of course, with surgical interventions, there's always the uh, risk of undergoing surgery, especially the risks of anesthesia. And with an artificial uh, sphincter or an implant, you risk infection, of course. Is there anything that you want to tell us about active surveillance as a treatment option for dealing with prostate cancer? Sure. So years ago, you didn't see patients being actively surveilled, at least not commonly. More and more, you're seeing patients who are going on active surveillance. And the thought process behind that is that a lot of patients historically were treated for prostate cancer, and they may not have needed treatment. Uh, They may have had a prostate cancer that may not have affected them during their lifetime. And so what we found is that patients who are diagnosed with a low-risk, low-volume disease, and that usually includes patients who have a biopsy that shows a Gleason 6 in very low volume, so usually three or fewer cores and any and cores with less than 50% involvement. And so for patients with that low-risk, low-volume disease, we can put them on surveillance where we're checking their PSA routinely and giving them biopsies, uh, usually annually uh, or, or every two years. Um, and if patients don't progress, what you're doing is delaying the treatment and the side effects that are associated with treatment. And in some patients, you never go on to, towards treatment, um, which actually keeps them from experiencing the side effects for the long term. So I'm just going to ask if you have any other final thoughts before we wrap up today's interview about incontinence after prostate cancer treatment. I think you've nailed a lot of important things, but if there's anything else you want to tell us about, please. So the one thing that I really think is important in this patient population is to make sure that these patients are well counseled before they opt for their treatment for their prostate cancer. Um, And I'm always very thorough when I'm seeing patients in consultation for this to make sure that they know that there is a good chance that they will have leakage following surgery. So our guest right now is Ann Calvaresi. She's a DNP with Thomas Jefferson University Department of Urology. And Ann has been very instrumental in helping us at the Urology Care Foundation review a lot of our patient education materials and making sure it's accurate. And she's been such a help to us over the years in helping us create these reliable patient education materials. And I just wanted to ask if you know, how did you get involved with this? Why is this type of work so important for you and that type of thing? Um, so I kind of fell into urology years ago when I was an operating room nurse. Um, I, I liked the procedures that were being done and I really enjoyed the staff. Um, and I kind of connected with some of the surgeons. And um, then I finished my uh, nurse practitioner program and I came on board um, with uh three of our surgeons who I worked very closely with in the operating room. Then, you know, it was mostly genital urinary malignancies that I was dealing with. Um, And I I really became very familiar with prostate cancer, and I see at least 50% of my patient population is patients with prostate cancer. Um, And it's a population that I really, really do enjoy working with. Um, And so then when I finished my uh, doctorate, most of the work that I did and most of the studies that I did was on uh, treatment of prostate cancer and the associated side effects, um, mostly with regard to androgen deprivation and the side effects that result from androgen deprivation. And I've gotten more involved with the um, AUA as the years have gone on, um, and I really do enjoy enjoy working uh with with all the aua staff Mm -hmm. okay well thank you so much on behalf of everyone at the urology care foundation and the american neurological association we thank you so much for all your um help in in creating these patient education materials and resources over the years it's an honor thanks so much this podcast has been brought to you by the urology care foundation the official foundation of the american urological association For more information on today's topic and for all things urology health, visit urologyhealth.org. That's urologyhealth.org.